and the biggest thing for us is extending that season as many days as possible. I think all of us kind of consider a successful season the most days you can spend in the field, you know. This podcast is brought to you by Creekside Wildlife, specializing in food plotting and habitat management for deer and turkey hunting. If you're ready to get started on improving your property to hold more game, then it's time to contact Creekside Wildlife. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Creekside Wildlife. All right, we're back. This is episode six, I believe. I've been getting backed up with those. I lose track of what episode we're on and everything. Um, we are, I don't even know where the heck I am. What is this, Meadville, Pennsylvania? Am I allowed to say where we're at? <laughs> we are getting ready for turkey season, and we are getting prepped for our Virginia trip here with new friends, Tanner, Tyler, and Braden. What's up, guys? Good, now that you fed me. <coughs> We're just out up here uh, going over some camera gear and getting uh, what we gave you guys, like the quick 10-minute camera, camera school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. You might know less than you did before, but uh, we're getting amped up for turkey season here, and uh, I was told we wouldn't have any problem filling up an hour with stories from you guys, so we'll uh we'll get right into it here um you know i just met you guys obviously today but we've been talking the last couple couple months here and uh i know you guys do a lot of traveling every year for turkeys and stuff and feel like uh it's sort of becoming a new new trend with you know guys traveling and just the out-of-state hunts and stuff so i just wanted to wanted to pick your brains a little bit on how you guys handle it and uh see what see what we can spur off of that so how long have you guys been doing the travel in turkey uh Braden actually started before us um what year was that for you probably that was my senior year of high school i think i had just graduated um probably 2017 we went out to uh colorado hunting merriams um and i mean it was a it was a blast. Uh, there was me, my two brothers, my dad, and then we met uh, my dad's good friend that actually lives out there. And uh, every single one of us came home with a Merriam, so it was it was a successful trip. That's next on, one of, on my bucket list. I'd like to get out there and chase some. So. He has a uh, taxidermist he'd recommend for it, too. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually, it's a long story, but I'll make this quick. I So I shot that Merriam and I, I've been to multiple states now out west hunting Merriams and have shot quite a few but um, I would say that was one of my nicest um, which was my first Merriam and um, you know I was all excited I was I was getting it mounted and had this taxidermist that had uh, done some snowshoe mounts for us and uh, did a really nice job on the snowshoes we couldn't find anybody to mount the snowshoes so I've they're really challenging to mount um so we thought you know he did a really nice job on those i'm sure he can do a nice job on a turkey because he says he specializes in birds and um 
I mean, if I could show the listeners a picture <laughs> of uh, of this mount. It's a picture that you want for a podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a plastic head. I mean, tail feathers missing in the mount that weren't. I mean, just doesn't even look like a turkey. But It's, it's kinda... so bad. He wouldn't have a problem lighting it on fire and walking away from it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Real bummer. <laughs> but... It's an ongoing joke for us that, you know, hey, I know somebody cheaper taxidermy yeah <laughs> now we we got a guy brian thatcher down down franklin titus Solari. i know braden has got a Merriam's down there he is he is fantastic a bunch of our buddies got birds done by him and he's incredible for our area especially i mean he's he's world class so at least now we you know Braden took a hit for us and uh <laughs> now we know that <laughs> to flush out the bad ones first right yeah yep. <laughs> i feel like that's a specialty thing like you can't just take your birds to just anybody like i don't know i feel like deer a little bit easier that's kind of probably where everybody starts i would guess but yeah and all the work i mean it's a funny story going to our Merriam's trip last year not to get sidetracked but to get that bird home Braden bought a big giant coleman cooler from walmart and he threw the bird in it and what did you use a whole roll of duct tape around it and yeah i got a I got a big roll of bubble wrap, <coughs> duct tape. I wrapped tape. it all up one night and stuck it in that cooler. Yeah, I put uh, cardboard around the the tail fan, kind of scrunched it up. I mean, it was a it was a big long process. I mean, it was a five six hour process between that and the elk sheds that we had to bring back. Yeah, but all this was on a plane. Oh yeah. Yeah, instead yeah. of shipping it, Braden's like, I'm just gonna check it on like a check bag. <laughs> so we got to Pittsburgh. You know, there's a nice piece of luggage somebody's blue luggage black luggage here comes this big coleman cooler full of duct tape <laughs> wrapped in duct tape yeah. said, that one's mine there wow. I'll take that's nice. big fragile sticker on it but yeah to, to get back on track me and tanner started uh, i'd say probably three years ago um i think tanner started the year before me it was uh he got a little period of time off work he went to tennessee and then we just kind of said like i don't know why we've never done this let's get in the truck and go and we headed to Georgia with with not really an idea what to expect, and we were fortunate enough to kill three birds in 24 hours, and we're sitting there, we're just like, what do we do now? Like, we didn't have a second state in plan, and and uh, our buddy um, Ethan, he's like, why don't you go to Tennessee? It's open. So we, you know, one day we hopped in the truck and said, let's go to Tennessee. But ever since then, now we know um, each year we do at least one to two trips, sometimes two to three, and uh you know we try to we definitely plan it with just us two but um we're definitely open to a couple more friends last year we took four out, out west this year we're taking seven to oregon so you know it always varies what's your plans looking like for this year i know you touched on it briefly but you're going starting in virginia obviously yeah i'll let Braden lead us off because he's got a he's got the unique schedule this year yeah, I've got uh I'm gonna have a couple weeks off. I'm also starting down in Virginia. Um my dad, brothers, uh, a couple friends are going down with us. Uh we're gonna hunt down there for four days and then uh all those guys are going home and then I'm just kinda venturing by myself. Um but I'm going from Virginia down to North Carolina. Um, from North Carolina to Tennessee and then um I'll just kind of have to see what kind of time I have left. I might hit Ohio, West Virginia on the way back up here to, to Pennsylvania. So Nice. Make sure you don't forget them hey dude wipes that way you can stay yeah. clean. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, they're going to come in clutch for you. <laughs> yeah, as far as ours go, um, 
we're going to start in Virginia again like last year. It's just so convenient how early it comes in. And then from there, um, we're going to do West Virginia as well as Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania. we got New York tags. And then our big trip is Oregon, Washington, Idaho. Uh, number one goal is to get a get a Oregon Rio. And then from there, I mean, we don't really have a schedule. We try to go with the mindset of not having a schedule because anytime you do have a schedule, it never, never <laughs> yeah. follows suit. Yeah, you so. can try to plan it out as much as you want, but got to be able to be flexible and adaptive. So um, we're going to touch base on filming a little bit here. Um, you guys are getting getting into the filming and stuff. and Well, I guess you did film last year, so we, <laughs> we, reviewed, we, we, we reviewed all that a little bit. bit. Yeah, so. Got our feet wet. Yeah, I mean, what made you guys want to want to start that whole process? I think it's just that we have all these memories that we talk about. We come down into my basement or we're just BSing in the garage. We're always telling these stories with, between buddies. It's uh, so much nicer to pull it up on the TV and be like, hey, hey, you get to relive this with me. So yeah. I think it's just capturing the moment. We have so many hunts and we're traveling across the country and you only get to do this however many times in your life. So we just wanted to capture these moments and try to get some cool footage. Yeah, that's kind of how I got started in photography and videography to begin with. I wanted something to you know, film with my dad and I and... And I kind of went a little overboard with <laughs> the camera gear I bought, and and I, yeah, and I decided well, I got to figure out how I can make money with this, and ended up having a guy ask me to film his wedding, and that's just been a long downward spiral <laughs> from that. So I think we have just as much fun rewatching. I mean, that's probably tonight fifteenth time we rewatched our yeah. little clips from our oh yeah for out sure. west swing last year, and it's just a blast and. Like I said, we had two other guys there, um, and they had a pretty eventful trip. We'll get into that later, but uh, just looking back on that, and even if they had cameras there too, you know, if, if we would have taken a little more serious, we could have had some seriously, you know, not just good content for turkey hunting, but there was a lot of comedy that happened out oh, west. Yeah. I mean, I think we burnt through about $300 of TSS between the four of us. <laughs> oh, and, my. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you yeah, know. That'll happen. It's quite the trip. Yeah, and I'll tell you guys what, I wasn't hunting with you guys out there. You know, you guys were doing the video, and, but even, you know, coming back here watching all that stuff you guys videoed, it's, yeah. I mean, it's just so much fun looking back on that. And, and there's stuff you forget. There's just little things that, that happen that you're yeah. like, oh, that, you know, I remember that now. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side of that, there's a couple misses. You get them on yeah, film. Yeah. You, you, you don't want to remember other. them, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. when well, we go over our, our past trips here, Braden's got an awesome story about, about his start to Montana last year that'll that'll crack some people up yeah for sure yeah I mean I just you know traveling you know filming with the tv show I used to work with and you know all the different places we were out west and you know fortunately that's why I was there to film so I have all that you know memories and stuff but you know I never have hunted turkeys out you know Montana wherever uh Wyoming you guys have been yep South and, Dakota you know that's just doesn't compare to any of the stuff that we've done around here so no just, it's it's totally unique you take everything you learned here and you throw it out the window for the yeah. Marians. i mean yeah whole different world so it's it's cool to see see footage and stuff from out there and definitely you know you guys being on the trips i'm sure it's a good memory to to have of all that so so let's touch a little bit on you know the the beginning of your season like how you would how you decide where you want to go how 
how you start planning a trip like that halfway, you know, or the whole way across the country for this year for you guys? Yeah. Um, I typically end up planning. I just, I always am a planner. Yeah. Um, Tanner <laughs> always sends me the memes that, that says, let me know what I owe you. You know, yeah. <laughs> I do, yeah, you know, exactly. with my job, I have a lot of time to research online. I watch hundreds of videos, yeah. you know, call biologists, call DCNR folks. We, I think what, when we were playing in Oregon, we called the gas station. We got some info from that nice Yeah, fella. that guy was very helpful. Yeah, yeah really. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, any information you can get out there. If you, I mean, when we book an Airbnb, first thing I say is, hey, we're turkey hunting. Do you see any turkeys? Oh, yeah, there's turkeys. Ever. Okay. If yeah. an average person is seeing turkeys, you're oh, in the yeah. right area. You know yep, what I mean? for sure. But we do little things like that. I know with us, um, the biggest thing is planning the, you know, your PTO work schedule stuff like that and the biggest thing for us is extending that season as many days as possible i think all of us kind of consider a successful season the most days you can spend in the field you know yeah you can kill three birds but you only hunted three days i'd rather hunt 25 days and kill two birds you know what i mean but um biggest thing is looking at that we always try to do an early april trip we always try to do something before pa and then we start pa with which is usually that first weekend of may and then that's when we do our, our usually our big trip is that second week of May, whether we go out west. Um, you know, next year we're talking about maybe going to New England area, hitting a couple of states up there. Um, but this year, like I said, kind of unique for Braden. He gets a couple of weeks off. So basically opportunistic, you know, if you if you can get a $120 license and go hunt a state that's six, seven hours away, yeah, let's get in the truck and go. Yeah, for sure. And that, that with uh... – calling gas stations and, and biologists and, you know, grocery stores, whoever we call. <laughs> it's quite know. an awkward conversation it, at the beginning. It is, but. <laughs> it is awkward, but sometimes, you know, you'll you'll find that person that will just really talk to you and they'll, uh, they'll really inform you on some stuff out there. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's not really necessary for us because we're going to get out there and there's a lot of birds and we're going to find them either way, but it's just that knowing when you're going out there that – I love calling them people out west, though. I mean, once you leave PA, them people out there are just so much nicer. They oh, yeah. thank you for coming out there. I don't know what it is boost about the that. Economy like, and just, it doesn't matter where I've went. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's just so nice. And uh, you almost feel weird. Like, why are these people so nice to you? I love the, uh, <laughs> where are you boys from? Oh, we're from Pennsylvania. You came from Pennsylvania to yeah. shoot a turkey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Hell, yeah, and I'll do it again tomorrow, you yeah. know. That's the same reaction I get when I tell my boss I'm going to Oregon to kill a turkey. <laughs> He's like, I got some yeah. behind my house. They're under yeah, the bird exactly. feeder out back each morning. <laughs> a lot of people just don't get it. No. No, you have to have that drive. And we're fortunate that a lot of our friends, you know, even our new friends like you guys, you know, the Clar boys from down Altoona, everybody shares that same drive. Um, we met a couple – awesome dudes from georgia last year in the middle of wyoming and they share that same drive as us so it's always i would say what february as soon as goose season ends that those conversations start and our whole goose group they i mean these guys love turkeys they're good at turkey hunting they like to travel and it's just awesome hearing i mean we got guys we had our buddy just come back from nebraska he had a successful hunt out there we got guys going to tennessee virginia maryland i mean every state pretty much that offers an early season we got guys in so it's it's kind of cool to hear everybody's stories throughout the, throughout the season. Yeah, I was talked on our last podcast about, you know, before I started working in the industry a little bit and just, you know, I guess before YouTube became a real thing, you know, I never realized 
how late Pennsylvania's season is. You know, they've been hunting in Florida for going on a month now, and you know, well, by the time we get started in Pennsylvania, a lot of seasons are almost on the on the end of the trip. But yeah, and a lot of people complain about that. But if if you really look into the the brood study and the breeding seasons around here, that that's their goal. Like they want to start this season when seventy five percent of the hens are bred. You know. If it was like the southern states, we just don't have the populations that they have per our studies. I mean, you could, if you started right now in PA, you could mop them. I mean, it's just. Oh, absolutely. It's inevitable. Yeah, yeah you hear that every year. I've been getting the, did you see that one strutting? They're going to be done by the time our season yeah. starts. In the, well, every single year. Hopefully, that's the point. But I I like to just tell them people, yeah, I'm probably not going to go this year. and <laughs> I'd stay home if I were you. <laughs> yeah, and I think last year is a prime example um, I think we can all agree spring started early and then winter came back. So a lot of them hens, I think, were bred nesting, and I think they failed a, a nest. And what happened was when our season started, they were full swing again. So I think that first week or two, I mean, they were back back breeding full full bore, and then come the third week, they were back nesting. So, I mean, there's situations like that, too. Our weather's so inconsistent. You can have – four inches of rain one week and then next week it doesn't rain the third week it snows so. yeah i think we had an inch or so of snow at yeah. our place oh, like yeah. three days before season last year something like that yeah all right well back on to the out-of-state stuff uh once you guys decide where you guys are hunting and you show up there what what are you doing for your sleeping arrangements camp type setups you know are you doing hotels or are you doing sleeping in the truck or you know what what's that look like for everybody i would say back when we first started when we went to georgia tyler and i were just two men we were getting in the truck we were going we had a plan we kind of knew where we wanted to be so i was like all right let's get in my truck and we'll go we'll just live out of my truck the cheapest way you know i had a air mattress in the bed of my truck we didn't really use it as it much never because seen air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was what 28 degrees the first it night we got cold. there so i didn't know georgia got cold and it we're was sleeping cold. in the front seat of the truck with the heater on practically <laughs> every night but yeah sleeping out of the truck and i i don't know it if you have a big group of people going more likely you're going to get an airbnb just so you have that base camp to yeah. go back to everybody can meet up talk about their hunts or whatever but when i'm going and it's just me and tyler something like that we're staying in the truck we're going to be mobile so if we kill in a state we can hop back in move on to wherever we need to go or if we're not on birds we can go find them so and and just to add to that i mean uh like this year i'm not going to oregon with you guys anymore but we have some older guys going on the trip with us like my dad was going tyler's dad and um, they wouldn't be as as keen on sleeping in the back of trucks they still got that grit but you Not know, that much. when you tell them three to five to five to seven days in the truck, they look at you like, what the hell's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, I know. That's what my dad kind of looked at me. He was like, I'm not sleeping in a truck. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And you got a couple sweaty dudes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. fortunately, you know, we've, you know, become used to each other that I know in Georgia, it was about day five and. I think we both looked at each other and said, we got to get a hotel tonight. I mean, it's, we <laughs> got to regroup, get a fresh shower. Yeah, exactly. we got to freeze these gobbler breasts, you know. That's a big thing, too, is taking care of your meat. I mean, when you're living out of the truck, that's what we always do. We try to do three to four days living out of that truck, and then just you got to cave and get a hotel. You got to freeze those breasts, get them back on ice, get that shower. And I think, 
I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this. Every time we do, we end up sleeping in that next day. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> you get that, that cozy bed at a Super 8 motel. I mean. Yeah, for sure. Turkey hunting doesn't sound as good until about 10 o'clock that day. Yeah. They're usually good in that midday time frame. Yeah, you need that. I mean, you got to rejuvenate. It's real easy to talk yourself into that. Yeah, you got to rejuvenate. You can't. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that push themselves to the limit. We do it all the time, but getting that extra sleep, getting that extra energy, you know, I think it I think it helps, especially in them states where you can hunt sun up to sundown. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. I just think for how much you're actually at the Airbnb that you got rented. I mean, you're yeah, there for four or five hours, six hours, maybe yep. to get some sleep, and yeah. you never see it again. So That's it's why not it that it's makes a waste of money, have, but. You get six, eight guys there. It, it's worth it, you know, and. And then, you know, with the filming aspect of it, you got to throw Charger batteries stuff, yeah. and everything there. So last year when we uh, we started in Montana and uh, just talking about the Airbnbs, they're great. And we had one in Montana to Beautiful start. Beautiful cabin. <laughs> Beautiful cabin. Um, the hot water lasted for about 40 seconds. <laughs> so you, you got a half a shower. <laughs> you had to get a quick shower. But um, where we got our Airbnb in Montana – there was uh there was some you know national forest or whatever pretty yeah, close by close. um but there was no birds there where we were hunting and where we were killing our birds was how far away two from and a half two hours, hours and it yeah. was not a straight line lady at the gas station lied to you then. yeah <laughs> two and a well, half hours that away trip, we took the dart we went to montana and we all right let's go there boys you know we didn't know anybody that's ever been to montana <laughs> turkey yeah so we're we're leaving at uh what time was it in the morning to get get up there? Oh, it was two thirty three. I mean, two and a half hour drive, and it's daylight by five thirty. I would say. And then I know you guys stayed up there some, but me and Ben were sometimes driving back, and we wouldn't get home till midnight, um, or maybe even later. And then we'd we'd have two hours of sleep, and we'd be back up at the Airbnb driving another two and a half hours because that's where we were hunting. And you're not just going for a morning hunt; you're hunting all day up there, like Raiden said. By the time you finish your hunt, now you got to roost birds for the next day or you're starting back at point zero. So you roost a bird, it's 9.30 when it gets dark. You're getting that, what do we have, a RAV4? It feels pretty comfy to just park it in the, on the side of the road and fall oh, asleep. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you guys ever hunted? Um, we did this in Kentucky last year, and I hope I don't sound real stupid, but I don't care if I do. We hunted right on the line of the time zones. So we no, were we sleeping in – eastern time and hunting in whatever the next one is and it was a mathematical nightmare and <laughs> somebody could probably explain this to me and it makes sense but we were so messed up trying to figure out what time we needed to get up and then we would drive and then the time would change on our phones but not on our radio and oh my goodness it was a disaster it took us three days to finally figure out we needed to get up at three o'clock instead of four o'clock which seems very simple now that we had that happen but but yeah i didn't know if anybody else ever maybe i'm the only person that's ever done that so no we never ran into that i'm sure we will one day with, <laughs> yeah. the, with our travels yeah i remember we went into a walmart and we thought oh we got you know an hour and a half till daylight we were going to go get our license and we come out and the sun's coming up and i'm like son of a gun so yeah make sure you figure that out if you're going to hunt near the time zones but all right let's get on to uh some scouting stuff obviously you know you guys aren't jumping in your truck going to Montana to scout for a weekend. So, um, obviously e-scouting is a big thing. So, um, without giving away too many secrets, what do you guys, uh, 
you know, how do you figure out what area aside from throwing the dart on the map or, you know, asking the gas station attendant where all the turkeys are at, you know, what are you looking for as far as from a, a mapping standpoint? Yeah. So I would say the first thing we kind of all agree on is we look at the harvest reports and then we narrow it down to a couple areas from there, you know, you go to counties and I know when we were playing in Oregon, we all put it on the TV and we just kind of map out gas stations and cell service areas and public land opportunities. And then we kind of narrow it down and just as a group agree on it. Um, and then from there, I think the easiest thing is we all, I mean, we're running gunners. So we, we put miles on, I think what out West, we were all putting 15 to 20 miles on a day turkey hunting. So our biggest thing is getting in areas where we're not cutting ourselves off or, you know, we may see a parking lot on the backside where somebody could cut our hunt in half. You know, we're avoiding those areas and we're just getting in places where we can go in and disappear for the day and then come back out. And I'm sure these guys agree. I'll let them talk on it in a second, but we like, you know, getting high and then looking for those low Creek bottom areas, you know, maybe where it connects to some public fields or some private fields that we just, you know, set our knowledge from PA down south saying, okay, them birds are probably roosting on that hill. They're probably hitting that creek in the morning and then feeding out into them fields. So I know that's the stuff I kind of look for. When you go out west, Raiden, Raiden's a Merriam's expert. I'll let him talk on it about out west, but it's a totally different ball game out west. Yeah. Um, like you said, I mean, get if you if you get somewhere a day early, getting up on that ridge top above yeah. above some bottoms, some cricks, so and just listening. Showing up the night before the season is oh, not a good idea? Yeah. It's right. huge. Two you, days. Do you hear preferably. that, Chase? That is not a good idea if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, having that data scout and kind of figure out the terrain, is, I, I think, is huge. But um, Yeah, I'd say, I mean, that's what I did last year when we went to Virginia. Tyler had to work a little bit longer than I did, so I left, what, two or three days before him. Got to where we picked on the map, and I just put put some boots on the ground and started walking, got up high, and I think it was my first morning there I located 10, 12, 15 gobblers just dropping pins, know where birds are at, and then if you find a bird that's even gobbling at 10 o'clock, you put a pin on him, and the next day he's going to be up there, you know, on top of that ridge, calling down into the bottoms looking for hens. So it it very it helped us very, very much. We were able to kill two birds right off the limb first day, and then the following or later that week I knew where that bird was up on that one ridge gobbling at 10 o'clock every single morning. So we went up there, and sure enough, he was up there, and we – made a buzzer beater kill and killed him about 1155. <laughs> I think the biggest thing to take from that, which us three specifically always preach on is you don't have plan a and plan B. You have plan a, B, C, D, E, and F because one, you're on public land Two, you're in a place you've never been to. You don't even know if there's a Turkey within, you know, eyesight and three, you just, I know I'm, I'm a culprit for this. I just always think of what could go wrong here. You know, when you hear that bird goblin, you just think, how can I get screwed up? Whether it's a, uh, you know, wind, whether it's uh, the terrain, whether it's another person, a coyote. I mean, I always think, what could go wrong, and what what's our next move? Because the last thing you want to do when you're out of state, you're on such a short time frame. States like Virginia, Pennsylvania, um, New York, Ohio, you only get to that noon buzzer, and then you're done. So your whole afternoon's wasted. So if you don't have that plan A through F, say, I mean, you're you're pretty much shooting yourself in the foot, and then. A lot of these places, when you get in these national forests, I mean, it's a, what, hour, two-hour hike out. And then if you got to change parking lots or change areas, I mean, you're wasting three-quarters of your morning. So I think that's the biggest thing that we plan is, you know, if you look at our on X, I mean, it's 
a million X's and access points and places you think there might be a turkey or places we've seen turkeys in the past, you know. And that's that's the biggest thing I think is having those multiple options. Yeah, one of one of the big things too I feel like is uh you know, being able to look on Onyx and seeing burn units, uh when burns happened, when clear cuts happened, um, being able to look, you know, what's thick, what's what's uh closed canopy, open hardwoods, that type of thing, because I mean, when you think about where uh, a mama hen's going to be raising her poults at, you know, a, a one, two-year burn is going to be pretty ideal for that. Um, so looking for areas like that, I think, is a is a good thing, too, and you'll get, you'll get close to the birds. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, you can only do so much from the, from the air, but that definitely gets you in the ballpark, but, you know, nothing's going to beat, you know, getting your boots on the ground when you get to a spot and... You know, a friend of mine was in Florida last couple weeks ago or whatever, and, you know, had all of his spots picked out preseason. Comes opening day, goes to this spot, five cars there. Goes to this spot, you know, and he ended up going through, I think, three different spots opening morning before they found one where there wasn't people. And it was, you know, his third or fourth stop or third or fourth option. And uh, they happened to get lucky and went in there, and they shot three birds at, two in the uh one in the morning and two in the evening so um that's a prime example of having having options for multiple days yeah i'd say another thing we do as waterfowl hunters i mean we talked about this earlier we are not shy with knocking on doors um it's almost comical to get the responses from folks when you ask them the turkey hunt and you're from pennsylvania and uh I mean, you could be, you could hit gold mines out of state. One one door knock, and you got thousand acres to yourself that nobody's ever turkey hunted because people go out of state and they're like, "All we can hunt's public land." Well, you look at that state and you map it out. There's so many private parcels that'll happily let you come on. I mean, offer them some meat, offer them to mail them something from your state that maybe they don't have. Um, you know, things like that. There's there's always ways. I know our go-to line is we use it in Tennessee a lot. Hey. We're here. We just got here. We're from Pennsylvania. We will be here for an hour max, and you'll never see us again. Yeah. Would you mind if we hunt your turkey? And <laughs> yeah. They they went for it too. I mean. Oh, the lady we, was nice as could be. Yeah. We we dropped down to Tennessee after Virginia that one day, and uh, it was raining that day. So <clears throat> instead of running, gunning, we were in the vehicle, circling the block. I mean, it seemed like every other field had a strutter in it that day. So I was on fire with door knocking. So Tyler made me go up to the door every time, and. I think I went four for five, and we were able to get on a couple birds, so definitely helps out. Yeah, I would say that's one thing that I took from waterfowl hunting. You know, you guys know you, if you're afraid to knock on a door, you're not going to have much success, but, you know, it's, it's crazy how many people, you know, not everybody's just, you know, going to kick you off their porch. We've we've ran up to, a, you know, many people that might be a old lonely farmer, just wants to talk, and, you know, you might have thought that nobody ever hunted his property and you know he might be like well nobody's ever asked me for that you yeah know? and worst they can say is no uh, yeah <laughs> i ran, can I, attest to that yeah i've ran into both sides of it i mean either people say hey no get the hell out of here or yeah you meet this old guy that seems like he hasn't seen a person in five years yeah, and he wants exactly. to talk to you for an hour next thing you know nope. his wife's making yeah. you dinner and yeah <laughs> yeah for sure son. yep absolutely and not to not to go too long with this, but another thing is, I mean, calling even before you get out there. Um, when me and Tyler used to work together, um, Tyler did a little bit more of it than I did, but finding big uh, big chunk 
chunks of uh, private out there. And uh, what are what are the other things? Help me out, Tyler. That they have out there, like the yeah. walk-in access programs. The walk-in uh, yeah. access programs. Yeah, they're like uh, they're co-op type stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. they're public, but they're private with permission. And ninety percent of people don't look at those. I mean, j- if you just hunted those, you could hunt a new property across each state and never come back so so having plan a b c d however many plans i mean that's that's the way to be you don't don't just have one plan going out there hunting one piece but yeah and i think you know that's the good thing about turkey hunting you know it's it's not like deer hunting you know you probably are going to get more nose if you're out there in november knocking on doors you know wanting to dive into somebody's creek bottom or something like that but yeah to us turkey hunters you know I know everybody with social media and COVID and everything says everybody's a turkey hunter, but, you know, if you really look at the grand scheme of things, the turkey hunting community isn't that big of a community. Um, When you get into deer hunting, you know, everybody deer hunts, everybody, um, you know, rifle hunts specifically or whatever that state allows. But when you get into turkeys, it's just a different time of the year that usually if they weren't raised on it, they probably don't do it. A lot of people probably would like to do it, but. Like you said, we get that response all the time. You're from Pennsylvania, and you're out here trying to shoot a turkey? Yeah. You're crazy, but go ahead, I guess. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you guys kind of answered my next question a little bit, but um, when you roll into a place, let's just say you're you know, you're know going to be there for four or five days, you know, what sort of uh, tactics are you you know, implementing as far as the hunt goes? You know, Are, are you going to kind of stay back and – and let things play out or are you going to get aggressive and you know run after the first bird you hear i would say speaking on me and tanner because we always hunt together i'll let Braden's talk after this we never ever ever go after that first or second bird you hear off the parking lot because you just know joe schmo has his coffee warming up at six and he is going to be under that turkey whether you're there or not um we ran into this last year we we had three birds roosted off a parking lot and we told ourselves the whole time, somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to be there. Don't go after him. Don't go after him. But after three days of scouting, Tanner agreed um, that those were the hottest birds in the state of Virginia. So <laughs> we were going after him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found those three birds my first morning there scouting. I I mean, before the night before season, we went in there and practically knew which tree they were in. So um, we had a really solid game plan. We felt confident that whether we get beat or not, I mean, we knew where, where they were going to pitch down, where they were going to work towards, so we had a good plan, and that's kind of what we went with. But as far as the people aspect goes, I mean, whether it's – we were in Georgia uh, two years ago, and half the time during the week we would just sleep in because there's people everywhere, two, three trucks at every pull-off. So It's like the first day of rifle season, every day of turkey I mean, season. That's where Georgia turkey public. hunting originated is down south, so, I mean, that's that's them, what everybody does. Some so. boys love their turkeys. We would take the loop and see where everybody's at in the morning, mark where everybody's at, and as soon as they leave, we'd hop in there at 10 o'clock and try to strike a hot bird. But Yeah, I think it, uh, it all kind of depends on what birds you're hunting, too, whether you're hunting Easterns or Merriams, because it's just it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when we're – when I've been out west hunting Merriams, I know you watch a lot of videos. Guys are calling them in. They're coming in screaming, and they're you know they're killing them. I know you guys had a couple situations like that. Um, that's something I've never really experienced. Is a, a Merriam coming in gobbling? Usually, it's you know they're 
big flocks. Sometimes they are small flocks, but they are just traveling an incredible distance each day. I mean, they are going wherever they want to, and they'll answer your call. They'll they'll talk to you all day, but at the end of the day, they're not coming to you. They're just making their big loop, and that's it. So when I'm out west hunting Merriam's, I'm I'm getting up on that ridge again, like I said, and I'm listening and I'm seeing where they're going and trying to almost kind of pattern them and and get to where they want to be. But if you're hunting easterns, that's that's completely different. You know, you're you're trying to call a bird in. You're being patient. Yeah. Oh, he learned the go hard way. Go quiet on them. Yeah. He learned you the go hard quiet way. on the Merriam. He's they're just gonna keep running away right. from you. Yeah. Braden had done that. He'd played the game with the Merriams before, and you know we're real. We're real patient eastern hunters, so we'll give that bird time. Well, we learned real quick on the Merriams, you got to leg it just as quick as they are. I mean, them and Rios are just such a nomadic bird. I mean, there is no predicting their next move. And um, getting into the other subspecies, I know talking to my buddy Bruce from down south hunting Osceolas, he doesn't even he doesn't even hit a call until he hears a bird gobble on his own just because of how pressured those public lands are in florida and how many people are after the same bird and you know nine out of ten times bruce goes in the woods before daylight and he's leaving after dark like he never comes out and that's just how you have to hunt pressured birds is you got to be there that moment that bird fires up because you might have a 10 minute window where that bird's hot or you might have a two hour window where that bird's hot and if you don't hit it you know you're you're uh you're pretty much out of luck but it like he said, it's all matters what state you're in. Out west, Montana, you could spin a circle and hear twenty gobblers from one ridge, or you could spin a circle and hear one. Well, if you hear one, that's going to change your strategy than if you heard twenty. You know, if we heard one, I'm sure we'd go right at it and uh, spend the day with them, take them, you know, take our take our time with them. But if we heard twenty, probably make a more aggressive setup, try to knock that bird out, bounce to that second or third one, and and go from there. Yeah, and that goes back to the you know having your options obviously you know if you you have 10 different options you know you're okay with blowing one out and and again back to the deer you know it's not like you're you know you bump a 150 inch buck out of a spot he's you might not ever see him again but you know you you bump a turkey he'll probably be in that same you know general area and tomorrow to hunt again but with uh with Merriam's you know I've you know, you go out to a, a state out west and you kind of figure out what it's going to be like after the first couple of days. And there's been times I've I've just completely left all the turkey calls at home and all I'll take with me is my crow call. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll gobble every time to a crow call, it seems like. Because you, you can be behind them and with a turkey call and they'll gobble to you all day, like I'm saying, but they'll just keep moving away from you. And, um, you I mean, you got to in shape and it's almost like an elk hunt you know what i mean and you're it's fun is what it is you're humping up (laughs) mountains down one up the next down one up the next and they're still going and you gotta i mean really aggressive on merriam's compared to eastern's i think it does change a little bit with like the time of the year that you're out there i mean if you're out there mid to end april they're going to be still flocked up you know you're chasing big flocks making big loops getting in front of them chasing them like like you're saying Braden, but yeah, snow, so the boat birds are pushed down in elevation, things like that. But we try to hit the eastern states or western states a lot later, that way that 
you do have that chance like we did of uh, birds being alone, pair of gobblers, single gobbler, just all by himself. And you can get that chance to actually call them in, which is cool. And a lot of the local folks, by by the time the season's in five, six weeks, they're done. I mean, we never seen a Montana plate in Montana. Really? If you're but, seeing somebody, they got out-of-state plates more than likely. But if you go and, you know, when the season starts and everybody's giddy to get out to, you're going to run into people everywhere, which is the same as PA. But, you know, for us, we're going out west. We're hunting hard. We're hunting sun up to sundown. So we got motivation, whereas they've been hunting Merriam since, what, April 15th, whatever Montana comes in. And by the time we're there in late May, they're done. So that's another perk. It's harder hunting. It's more pressured birds. But you do have that chance to get a fired up, you know, one or two Merriams and that you can spin on a top, but sometimes they're just, I mean, it don't matter what you do. They're just walking their straight line away from you. And that's uh, with Merriams um, cut me off. I'm going too long on this, but um, you know, you got to look at when you're going out West like that, look at what uh, kind of winter they had out there, how cold it was, how much snow they had. And if it was a pretty brutal winter, um, and, and there's not going to be a lot of food in the woods, whatnot. They're going to be close to the houses. And uh, if, if you're hunting Merriam's early out west, uh, they're going to be in big groups. They're going to be close to the houses. They're going to be in people's yards. And then it's it's a matter of, okay, how close am I to that house hunting? You know what I mean? It's That's a whole different ball game as well. I know you guys ran into that out in South Dakota. Pretty much your, your definition of scouting was making the loop behind houses looking behind people's yards and seeing 30 turkeys behind somebody's house and see how far the private is from the public and what a difference three weeks make i mean we went exactly a year later in three weeks in may and you know Braden had a bunch of pins for us which was sweet but you drive them pins on that snow that snow line gradually makes its way up the altitude them birds ain't in the yards anymore you know they'd played the game they now have all the all the scratching up I don't know how many thousand feet, probably better better not to say, but, you know, now you got all that extra land them birds can play in. So it was – I know Braden can attest to this. South Dakota was a lot different than what them boys experienced in early April than late yeah. May. That that was the first time we um, – well, I guess we had went to Colorado and then South Dakota, but that was one of the first times we'd hunted the first day out there. And that, that was six years ago, but if I can remember right, talking to the landowners out there, they had had – Oh my God! I want to say it was like negative thirties and forties for weeks out there, and um, a, a pile of snow. And uh, the the landowners claimed that there was massive flocks in all the yards before that, but they claimed that a lot of the birds died when that uh, you know those negative forties were around for a couple of weeks. So but. yeah, bird seed was definitely a staple of their diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, F's, yeah, yeah. All right, well. We answered a few of these, but um, I just want to run through a few scenarios that I came up with here that I'm sure everybody's experienced, and uh, we'll just go through. I got five of them here, so I'm just going to give you a scenario, and and uh, you can tell me what what tactics you would use. Um, if one of you guys wants to pick Merriam's, you know, out west, western-type hunts, uh, maybe one of you pick more southern or whatever and then someone else can pick the eastern if if you guys want to do that we'll let all three of you answer every question here so um whoever wants to go first we're going to go with uh, you have birds roosted on public uh, let's just say the night before you heard them fly up or gobble or or whatever and um you have good access to them um 
what would your tactic be? Would you try to get in close on them? Would you try to set back and call to them? Or what would you do? Whoever wants to go first. Um, I'll speak on the Eastern to start. With an Eastern in a situation like that, I think the biggest thing is terrain and just identifying what you think that bird is going to do. I'm sure everybody that turkey hunts know what you think they're going to do is probably the opposite. But, you know, you look to see if there's a – maybe there's an oak flat there. Maybe there's a creek bottom there. Maybe there's a field they're pitching to. Uh, situations like that, and I know speaking for us, maybe not as much many other people, we don't like to get directly under a turkey. I know there's been times where, you know, you get in early and you wake up – or they wake up and you look up and you're right under them and it's like, well, this isn't going to be very productive because a bird doesn't just fall out of the tree. I mean, he sails out. So um, I know we like to keep our distance because usually if there's one turkey, there's more. And uh, situation-based, really. I mean, if it's a place where we think that bird is definitely going to pitch down to that flat and we can get to that flat, we're going to get to that flat. If it's a situation where the leaves are extra crunchy, it is so quiet, and you just feel like you're going to blow the whole party if you if you go in for it. Then there's a lot of times we'll stay back. We won't say a word. We'll let that bird and the other birds pitch down, let them do their thing, and then get on them from there. Because um, I'm sure you know these two will attest to setup is number one with us. I mean, if you don't have a good setup, you might as well not even play the game. Because anybody can get a turkey to gobble all morning, but you know to get that setup to kill them. Um, I mean, they're hunted from the time they're laid as an egg, so they're not they're not stupid. Yeah, I'd say that same situation, say if you were down south, a little bit more pressured birds, maybe you've been hunting all week, you know where a bird's roosted, he's been there several days, you got a bunch of pressure around him, say you don't even hunt that morning, maybe you go somewhere else, but you know where that bird's at, you slip in there at 10 o'clock, maybe even just before that 9, 9.30, you know that bird's going to come back to that area, wherever it's a ridge top or a saddle or a bench that he's going to be strutting on. Just go back to that area, do some light calling, wait for him to fire back up. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of, you know, in agreement with you guys. I mean, sometimes they're going to be, well, you know, we always call hand up, you know, the gobblers, and they, they're going to hit the ground, and then they're not going to do much anything, much any talk, and they sure, sure aren't going to come to you. Um, so, like like Tanner said, coming back at 10, 11 o'clock maybe when they, they left those hens, giving it a shot then, figure out, where the scratching's at, where they want to strut and just hang out and be patient, you know? Yeah. I know it would be a little different out west as far as, you know, from the footage that you guys have showed me and stuff. You know, you're not you're not really given a lot of room around the roosts on some of those, some of those parcels there. You know, there's not a lot of woods around the roost trees, so, so I guess you wouldn't really have the option to get in you know, too close on some of those birds, but all right, let's uh, move on to the second question here. Um, so you guys get to the woods in the morning and, you know, you hear one gobbling on the limb. So you get in there and get, get your setup. Let's say you're, you know, hundred yards, 150 yards away from him gobbling on the limb. And then he just shuts up, you know, that's never happened to anybody. Right. <laughs> so, uh, how would you handle that situation? You know, assuming he hasn't flown down yet and, or flies down and then nothing, you don't hear anything else. What are you doing? Probably sprinting to the neighbors where that hot bird's yeah. burning. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, uh, for us, I mean, the biggest thing is typically if you've hunt, hunted turkeys long enough and I'm not claiming to be an expert, neither of these guys, but 
you can get a feel for what a bird's going to do them first couple hours. Um, a lot of guys in our area, they a lot they do a lot of their hunting before work, and before work is say done by seven, done by seven thirty. And typically, if you know that gobbler's not going to play the game by then, you probably aren't going to get them till about nine thirty, ten, maybe eleven, eleven, twelve o'clock. So, for us, I mean, the biggest thing is to not we're not going to mess up a turkey just to try to get aggressive. So maybe we'll make a loop call from a different angle. Um, you know, maybe we'll get in the truck, go scan a couple fields. Um, birds, you know, love to hit crick bottoms, love to hit fields straight off the roost. Uh, that's a lot of times when they're shutting up is when they're with those hens. But, um, sometimes if you can keep eyes on them, just tailing them. And we said it time and time again, you get a small window sometimes when these birds are hot and the minute he drops them hens, it could be eight o'clock. It could be 10 o'clock if you're there and you got the setup. I mean, you could pretty much call them in with a trumpet or a kazoo. I mean, they're hot. They're hot when they're hot. So that's probably the biggest thing. If you can keep eyes on them, we do tail them, try to get in front of them. <clears throat> Braden's a king at this. He's he's unbelievable at getting in front of a flock of turkeys without spooking them. So he can speak to it better than I can. But uh, that's probably the biggest thing is to just just try to keep your distance and wait for your time to make that move. Yeah. Yeah, and I've for the last, you know, good number of years, I've been one of those hunter that hunts before work i mean i had to be at work at 7 seven thirty for the last you know 10 years so um that's kind of the the tactics i used you know try to get in there i would try to get as close as i thought i could just for the simple fact of i knew i had to be at work by seven but if uh he flew down and just you know things didn't work out quick then i would just back out of there and uh just hunt him the next day hopefully you know try not to Try not to spook them. I mean, I don't know what you guys experience with this, but in my area, it doesn't seem like I have too much luck roosting birds in the evening. Like, I just, the gobbling is not as, you know, good as it is in the morning. So if I know where he's roosted, I don't want to mess that up, you know, by getting in there too close. I just feel like I have a much better shot in the morning if I know where he's, where he's roosted. So, and that's just to add to that. I mean, you know where the bird's roosting at. You know where he likes to hang out at so don't uh you know when that bird f- flies down and he's he's hand up or whatever no, just know when to quit yeah. don't don't keep going after him and yeah. bump him go to the next piece yeah wait for your setup like yeah said a bunch of times go to the next piece walk and call strike that hot bird up if it still doesn't work out come back to that spot you you had him first morning that bird might come in hot just yeah hammered so that's where it goes back to having plan a b c d yeah yeah you can't just have hey this is my this is my turkey hunting property this is the only place i turkey hunt so if you go in there and bugger that bird up you're gonna you're gonna have to wait a, a week to uh go back in there and kill him so all right we're gonna go with scenario number four here actually number three i'm getting ahead of myself um wake up in the morning you head out to the woods and you don't hear a single bird. What are you guys doing? Go ahead, Braden. <laughs> Go to the next spot. <laughs> keep moving. Yeah, we already touched on this a little you start bit. Start burning the rubber off your boots. Yeah, just keep walking and walking and walking until you can't walk anymore. And you know, I mean, I think that's all our mentality, us three. But yeah. Now, would you guys be using like a locator call during those, or let's just say we're in the morning, you haven't heard one, and you're, you know sit for an hour don't hear any birds or whatever um are you guys walking around and calling like with turkey calls or are you just using an owl call crow call whatever 
I'd say if it's still before 8 o'clock, we're going to be using a turkey call trying to strike up a bird because with the mentality that he's still kind of gobbling when he hits the ground. But, I mean, if it's if we're going into a spot at 9.30, 10 o'clock, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd like to lo- locate that bird and not have him know where you're at until you're ready to f- make that setup and find that setup that you know you can kill him in. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is we don't just walk and call. Um, you'll see us when we're – if we are walking and calling, you know, we all look before we call and we know, okay – I'm going to that tree, you're going to that tree, and we're leaning against them because, I mean, <clears throat> if you're a turkey hunter and you say one hasn't blown your ears off before, you're you're either not in the right place or haven't been doing it long enough because so many times where, especially when we were younger before we knew this, we'd be just walking and yelping or calling or whatever, and one blows our doors off, he's 40 yards in the brush right there, and there ain't a tree around us to get on. So now we're we're pinched and... I think the biggest thing is, like Tanner said, just having a setup in mind. You never just start calling and then scramble. That's where, you know, chaos doesn't doesn't usually work in turkey hunting. So I'd say be uh, just being patient, maybe calling a couple times as well. I've had situations where I've only stopped, called one time, one sequence, didn't hear anything gobble, and I take 10 steps and I see a turkey out in front of me take off. So Yeah, early is important to just listen. Just listen to the woods. I mean – by eight o'clock, you're probably not going to have much difference than than from what happened off the roost. Um, usually, when that sun gets warm, that nine ten, everybody says that magic ten to noon, that's when stuff starts changing. Um, I'm not saying it can't change before that, but patience and just listen to the woods. I mean, a bird will tell you what it, what kind of mood it's in early. Um, you know, crow calls, owl calls, us being waterfowl hunters, goose calls, uh, coyote howls, whatever you can do. I know. One bird me and you killed a couple of years back gobbled to a uh, Duramax hitting a, you know, burning out at the bottom yeah. of the road. But well, he, you heard the video earlier. That it, was the only thing that yeah. made that bird gobble yeah, from Yeah, he dad. wouldn't <laughs> gobble to a crow, an owl, a yelp, a cut, nothing. But that Duramax went off. and I ooh. remember that time you and CP went up to the one lease there. You guys locked the truck. Beep, yeah. Beep, yeah, beep. The, the beep of the right. truck. <laughs> They're too fired off. Yeah. They went up there. and It wasn't 10 minutes and two long beards ran into our lap and, you know, one of the best hunts of our life, but. And uh, I I do think you know even though I said it's it's good to just run and gun and and keep going and calling, I think you can hurt yourself sometimes by doing that. Um, and I don't know if Tanner and Tyler agree with me, but you know you're like you said you're starting that morning, you're not hearing anything, you know the birds are there, but they're just not talking. Um, and then you just immediately start going and running through the whole block, calling. Um, you're probably just spooking a bunch of birds if it's from that seven to eight thirty in the morning mark. Uh, sometimes in that situation, I like to just stay where I'm at. Like Tanner was saying, call periodically, hang out. Maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe one will come in silent, fire up. And um, a lot of times when you're doing that, you'll hear one gobble off in the distance. And then you know where he's at. You're not going to spook him walking through the woods. Go to him, get get set up on him. But and I, you know, like Tyler's dad, um, my dad. You get better at doing that as you you get older. That's their style of hunting. Patience, yes. real patience. <laughs> That's the best nap in the woods. They say that. Yeah. That eight to ten nap and waking up to that gobble. You know it. He's gobbling at ten o'clock when they wake up, and birds might as well. I mean, he's dead before he even knows he's dead. And that's the old way of hunting. I mean, us. They laugh at us young young bucks. You know, if we have a bad roost hunt, 
I know for us, it's always a joke. We head down to country fair and get a get a breakfast sandwich, you know, take the loop around the block. Well, that's when they're snoozing away, getting ready, and then when they wake up at 10, that 10 to noon, they know where these birds are. They've been doing it for years and years, and just a different way of hunting. I mean, patience, patience will kill a lot of turkeys. I would say just one more thing to add, kind of what Braden was saying. We ran into this problem in Tennessee. It was just these big mountains, wide open timber. I mean, you could see, you're up on top of the spine of this ridge. You could see clean across the bottom to the other side. So there was numerous situations where we were walking and calling, walking and calling, just running, trying to get a bird to strike up. But we found out we were we were doing more damage, like Braden said, just spooking birds. So just using like that, the terrain in the elevation to your advantage, walking on the backside of the, wherever you think you're going to be striking a bird or wherever you're calling down into, maybe walking on the backside and then popping over and calling or calling before you pop over a rise or things like that. I mean, most of our PA spots, we've hunted them since we were boys. So we always know where we're going to be calling from and you always kind of know where you expect to strike up a bird, but just using those to your advantage. That's a a thing that kind of goes along with where you're hunting at too. You know, like around here, we don't have, that problem is much with uh big big open land yeah flatter but, thicker ground but you get you get anywhere else sometimes you can see three four hundred yards through the woods especially yeah. april 1st <laughs> yeah early yeah if it's early or you're hunting wide open i mean you can strike a bird from 200 yards but if you're in pa the last week of may you can call 20 yard or call at a spot and then walk 20 yards and call again and he might be able to hear you now or vice versa yeah we ran into that in kentucky last year with you know, we were only there for four days, so we were wanting to be aggressive, but we knew where these birds were roosting basically on accident from the first evening they came in and flew up and in front of us. So we were sort of a back and forth on our tactics there between we knew where they were roosting, but they were just gobbling their heads off on the limb and then landing with hens and shutting up. So we ended up uh, playing it safe, and I kind of just – slowly worked my way in and in you know as we went and i ended up not uh getting a shot at them but it was one of them days where you you know if you had one more day i would have hopefully been good but um but that was definitely a learning experience as far as you know scouting from the air and from the computer and stuff and then just still doesn't beat getting in there and and you know getting boots on the ground but but it was a little little tough for me because you know you you didn't want to go walking around but yet you did like I wanted to walk and see what was over that next little knob and and uh so it was fun playing that game back and forth but um I wanted to touch on what you guys said about uh picking a spot out before you call that thing there is gonna gonna be devil right there (laughs) definitely important because I don't know how many times we've had that happen and we didn't have a setup with the camera because that adds a whole nother element to it all. So, I mean, you need to definitely need to pick that spot when you're running and gunning because, you know, you want to hide. It's easy to easier to hide one guy sitting against the tree, but now you got to get a camera in there and, you know, it's just, just adds a whole nother thing. So that was always one tactic that I uh, like to use with the camera gear, but yeah. And it just makes you respect them guys that, everybody watches on youtube and whatnot that just you know your shane simpsons your dave owens your hunting public your claycomb i mean these guys that are doing it by themselves is just insane i mean it's 
it is no easy feat. Everybody always says, yeah, well, if I can hunt that much. Yeah, well, you still got to hunt that much and get it on film. Anybody can hunt that much and kill them. But to get a quality video, you know, you're shooting in 4K, you know, you're running one, two, maybe three cameras, microphones. I mean, it is not easy. Everybody always says if a turkey could smell like a deer, you'd never kill them. I mean, they're not stupid. So any little movement and like we've said a hundred times, setup, well, like you said, setup is ten times harder when you throw that that piece of equipment in yeah. there. Yeah, yep. It can definitely be done, but, you know, it, you mess up more than you, than yeah. you kill. Yeah, you just that's have to sure. accept <laughs> failures are going to happen from the camera when you go in. I know that's been our struggle, but we kind of made it a memo this year that, hey, you're going to have failures from the camera, just hunt harder, you know. So that means no more telling me to get away from you and go drop back a yeah, call for I'm, you. Yeah, I'm really, I <laughs> let's, like, let's kill this thing. It's like a drug for me. I get a, <laughs> I black out and I I could stomp that three three thousand piece of a three thousand dollar piece of equipment right in the mud. I don't care. I just I need that turkey to to play the game and and to die. So I really need to be be wrangled up this year. All right, number four here. Um, haven't had any luck in the morning, and you know we're midday here it's about 10 o'clock let's say and uh just walking out and you hear one gobble 500 yards away then you hear him gobble again a couple minutes later what are you doing if he's according to your question if he's gobbling on his own at 10 o'clock yeah he should be at lunch with you he should be in the, <laughs> he should be in the truck about 30 minutes but no if that if that's the case i mean i'm just gonna slip in there keep locating him hopefully he's gobbling on his own but using some type of locator call, working in within under 100 yards of them. And just uh, like we keep going back to, find a setup that you know you can kill him and get him into where he can't hang up out in front of you and uh, set down, call, and the rest should be history. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I would have said. I, I would never, ever in that situation just start turkey calling. I mean, I think that's the worst thing you could do. You close as much ground as you can without that bird knowing you you exist. And you see it on YouTube all the time. I mean, Dave Owens, I hate to go to somebody like him that's just so good at it, but he spends so much time getting to that spot before he even makes a call. And then once that call rings out, I mean, it's it's usually over because he spent that time sneaking on that bird while he was making himself vulnerable, getting in that position. And like you said, if he's gobbling by himself at 10, he's usually looking for a lady. And if you're singing the right song to him, it's it's not going to take long most of the time. So you in in a state, let's say, that doesn't close at noon, you'd rather take an hour and a half to get around oh, on that 100%. bird. All right. So now I have to ask it the other way. It's 11.30 and you got to be done at noon. Same thing happens. Let's say he's 500 yards away. What are you doing then? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak on this just because we ran into it last year, and it was, it was everything we had left in the gas tank. We were on one mountain, I mean, hundreds of feet in the air, and eye level with us, what would you say, three-quarters of a mile. Birds just burning it down, 11 o'clock. We look at the clock. Now it's 11.10 by the time we made our mind up. We said we got 50 minutes to get to the bottom of this mountain, and get all the way to the top of that one and then kill that bird. And we looked at each other and said, you think we can do it? And we said, absolutely. So we put our seats down, and I'm telling you, these mountains were so steep, it was like Christmas Eve we were sled riding. We slid down this ravine. We got to the bottom. You'd listen, and you could barely hear him. That's how high he was. 
and we looked at the map, and there was just no good way. What was it? Rocks and Mount Rocks Laurel. Rocks and Mount Laurel, yeah. So we're crawling through it. I mean, we're swearing and <laughs> sweating. I mean, it is hot, and um, we finally get to the top, and it's just the worst setup you could ever imagine. I mean, yeah. it was. We're in rock piles. Rock and piles and four-foot brush. I mean, I was sitting on my knees, and I couldn't see over it. At this point, that bird, that bird's still gobbling. So what we did was we located him with a locator call. He was still in the same area, and I think we what jumped jumped off an eight-foot rock cliff, hit the ground, made a big circle around, looked at the phone, and we had I think we had 12 minutes. So we got to the top where we were set up. We were skylined, which we didn't like at all. We knew he was going to pick us out. He was below us, looking up to us. We we're were sitting s- on very very small trees. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just what we had. We had 12 minutes, so he's now faded off. He's gobbling real late, and. Like you said, that clock's ticking. We got 10 minutes now. I think I threw everything but the kitchen sink at him. I mean, I was yelping, cutting, Jake yelping, gobbling. We both had branches stirring up leaves. Basically, it's it's early April, so we're sounding like a whole flock of turkeys. I mean, to spark a gobbler's interest, he thinks a flock of younger birds is coming in full of jakes and young hens. You know, he's going to come over. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as that happened, he just fired up. And we both looked at each other and said, we got five minutes as soon as that bird comes up, we're shooting on three. And he full strut ran into 60, next thing you know, 50, popped out at 40. And I said, Tanner, he's going to skyline us right here. we got to kill him. And I was just waiting for him to be able to shoot. And he said, all right, I got him. And we did one, two, and we shot. And, I mean, right at the buzzer, 11.56, I think, when we picked them up. But situation like that, that clock's ticking, that bird's hot. I mean, we didn't have much left in the gas tank, but – we did whatever we we had to do to get to the top of that mountain and get that right set up on that bird. Yeah, going back to that hunt, I just there was one thing that stood out to me once we got to not a setup that we usually would love, but a setup to where we thought we could kill and we had short time left. And uh, like Tyler said, we started throwing everything at him, and there was a split second where you where you could just feel that bird his like emotion change. You could hear him, you could feel him spin around. You could hear him gobbling towards you instead of away from you. And we both looked at each other and we're like, all right, he's coming. He, like, we got him. It's that feeling when you know he just broke. Like, it's on. I mean, that gobble was louder. Him. He's coming. That bird was gobbling quicker. And we knew we had a bad setup. But at that time, there's nothing. I'm not taking that extra 25, 30 yards to get down eye level with them when, you know, we got five minutes to go. So, you know, maybe something we wouldn't do if we had till 2 o'clock. But yeah, exactly. it or, worked. Yeah. It's something you tell people when they look at you cross-eyed, but and that was also closer to the to the end of our hunt. You know, we didn't have that was maybe the last day of our hunt in Virginia or the yeah that was the last day we were hunting that area. So So. yeah, and that's the good thing. You know, you're able to adapt, and you know the tactics you use on day one might not be the same ones you use on the end of the week or whatever. But we'd never do something disrespectful to ruin ruin the hunting for other folks. But I mean, where we were, we were (laughs) we were miles on you know land that you can hunt that most people probably didn't know you could and and it was just a situation where we we thought we could hunt them the right way without without screwing them up so you know we did what we had to do and uh he went home with us to pennsylvania well we're about out of time here it looks like uh we got an hour and 10 minutes in so but uh i mean i we don't have enough memory cards for the amount of <laughs> turkey talk that I think I would be fine with having. So, but uh, this this helped uh, get us a little closer, you know, ease the pain of the fact that we haven't been able to turkey hunt yet. So we're uh, 
winded down the days now. What do we got? Six now? Week from the day will be the yeah. last sleep. If yeah, you we'll want to call it sleep. We'll be heading <laughs> south in a week and uh hopefully next time we fire this up we got a maybe either a preseason I found some birds or maybe we'll have one down by then. Sitting on know. the tailgate drinking yeah. bush light, talking about the yeah, kill. I could definitely enjoy that. So uh thanks for having me up guys and showing me around and uh Thanks for inviting me to Virginia this year and appreciate yeah. the the invite. And, uh, you know, like I said, even, even if we go down there and don't hear a single bird, I think it'll be cool to, you know, start the season off with a bunch of good guys and just hanging out and BSing. So. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part. This is the closure for us is starting in one kind of area. You know, Braden's got a group going down south. We got a group going. Um, our other buddies that we waterfowl hunt with got a group going. It's kind of cool to start there and then to see everybody in the next month and a half kind of branch out across the U.S. You know, it's just it's so cool hearing stories and God bless these guys that do it for a living that let us watch them all all March and April to get us ready for the season. But that's the coolest part. I mean, I could sit and listen to listen to people's stories across the U.S. Some of them you, you tell and you won't even believe them. I mean, Braden's Montana Wyoming experience is hard to believe and some of the birds we've killed are hard to believe, but that's the cool thing with turkey hunting, you know. It's not like deer hunting where you're stuck in that tree. I mean, you don't have to hunt like that, but most people do, you know. You're you're patient, you're hunting that tree and there's not a lot of wild stories, but with turkey hunting, you you're meeting new people, you're you're driving new areas all the time. You're always running and gun, you know. You're just covering so much ground and doing it so different than most people would expect you to do it that it's just such an interesting story every year and it's kind of my favorite part of seeing how everybody starts in the same type of type of region and then just branch out and covers you know honestly most of the u.s by the end of by the end of may into june yeah absolutely yeah i think it's going to be be a fun year we got a big schedule planned and uh see if we can get something on camera this year so we're gonna try to bring it with us yeah <laughs> and let not let it in the truck right yeah it likes to <laughs> likes to stay in the back seat for some reason yeah. i don't know what's yeah, up with that you got to get it out of its comfort zone yeah, and take I wish it, it, take I it wish on a it couple could more walks grow legs and walk <laughs> itself because yeah be with us a lot more but yeah no i think i think it'll be a fun year and uh we're gonna see what we can capture and uh worst case have fun doing it so. ah we'll always have fun it's all right motto. well we'll probably be in virginia the next time we're on here so i guess we'll uh We'll check back with everybody then. So check us out on social media, Creekside Podcast, uh, Instagram and Facebook, and uh, our YouTube channel we're getting started up is Creekside Wildlife. So check us out on there and leave us a review. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.